Today's show is proudly sponsored by Minding the Gap. You guys all know that mental health for dancers matters. You're on board. You want to see the culture in your studio change, but where do you start? Enter Minding the Gap. Minding the Gap is dedicated to seeing mental health regarded with the same seriousness as physical health in dance culture, and they come armed with solutions. Whether it's helping you craft policies and procedures that protect the mental wellness of dancers and staff, consulting to build a robust mental health program in your school or company, or providing mental health skills workshops for your students and teachers, Minding the Gap has you covered. They bring the expertise of the best dance mental health experts in the world to you. For more information, visit www.wearemindingthegap.org or click the link in the show notes. Hello, dancers. Today's episode is an important discussion. Perhaps one of the most important ones I have had on the podcast over the last two years, and that's saying a lot. Today's episode addresses something that is going on in the ballet competition world today. You might have heard of it, know someone who's done it, or even engaged in it yourself. I'm talking about misrepresenting health data on competition applications. This episode might be triggering for some and maybe shocking for others, but it's an important conversation. I bring on Stephanie Potrek of Oz Dancers Overseas, who's been conducting field research on the topic, and the preliminary results are, in one word, disturbing. Please know that neither Stephanie nor I have the answers, but we both strongly believe that opening the conversation is the first step in affecting change. We also have not spoken to any representatives of any competition regarding this topic. All we have is the self-reported data from the dancers themselves. To connect with Stephanie, engage with her research on this topic, click the link in the show notes or visit her Instagram at OzDancersOverseas. With that said, please remember that I am not a health professional and anything you hear me say is purely my opinion and should not be considered medical advice. Anything said by my guest should be considered for informational purposes only and not medical advice. If any of the things we share resonate with you, we encourage you to talk to your doctor or click the link in the show notes to find the best healthcare professional for you. And before I get started, I also want to mention that anything said on the podcast reflects my dance experience as a whole and not any one teacher studio or company. The opinions shared by my guests in this episode are their own and come from their individual viewpoints. This conversation was a little difficult, I have to admit but it's so important and I'm just really, really honored to share it all with you and get this conversation going. So without further delay, here you go. Hello dancers, welcome back. Today I'm so excited to have back on the show, Stephanie Potrek. Hello, Stephanie. Hello, Sarah. Hi. So lovely to be back. Thank you. Yeah, Stephanie is here, you guys, to share some really, really interesting information with us on a topic that, honestly, I haven't delved into too much. Uh, back in season one, when um, Courtney was on the show, she had a little bit of experience in the ballet competition world. I have not had any experience in the, the competition ballet world. Uh, when I was a student... We had one little regional, uh, it was actually not even regional, it was a state scholarship competition 
that I participated in, and that was it. <laughs> so I haven't really delved into it too much, um, but I hear that you found some interesting data about dancers not being totally honest on their applications. So before we get into that, though, <laughs> let's give our listeners a quick reminder of your relationship with ballet and how you became a sports nutritionist and an update on anything that you'd like to update us on with Oz Dancers Overseas. All right. So, yes, I actually started off with ballet like I think almost everyone else. Um, and then hmm, I must have been, I don't know, somewhere between 14 to 16, I got into musical theater then. Um, and actually that's the way I pursued. Um, and I moved to London. I went to the Erding Academy, um, but unfortunately got injured. So I actually fractured a vertebra. Um, and that basically was it for me because I mean, that is a couple of years ago that this happened. <laughs> Dan's medicine wasn't where it is today. And even though we found a really good physician treating me and I really even got spared the surgery, um, yeah, it, was, it wasn't quite clear. So would I be able to do anything more than a tendu area? Mm -hmm. Would I be able to do glisse, jeté, you know, not to mention an arabesque or so? Right. Um, and kind of for me, that felt like that was it. That was my dance career. I've got to do something else. And I went into medicine um, and then got carried away a little bit because, I mean, oh my gosh, you know, medicine is just, there are so many interesting topics in yeah. it. And uh, human genetics, particularly interesting. I found global health incredibly interesting because it helps you so much understand the world. Mm. And it was just, you know, we always think the belly environment is particularly toxic or the dance environment. The medicine environment is as well, I can tell. Um, and so I found myself, I don't know, in my mid-30s, I found myself asking myself every day, like, do you want to spend every day for the rest of my work life being surrounded by toxic people? Kind of, yeah. I didn't really know. So I moved back to Australia, I moved back to Sydney, found myself in the dance studio every single day. And I thought, maybe I just need to make, you know, that's a sign, that's a sign. The universe <laughs> combine my two passions and yeah. so this is actually how our centers obviously started off um and now thanks to the pandemic i've been back in europe for a bit more than two years now but it's also not too bad because you can really advise people and be like you know i know this is back in australia and this is how it is here and yeah. it, it, it's not it's not about you're sometimes a little bit the missing link for them yeah um but I realized very early, so that was during my time in Sydney, um, that so many health problems are related to nutrition and particularly restrictive patterns of food intake. Mm -hmm. And I had then moving back to, to Europe, I actually had the option to go from medicine, which is, I think, pretty much unique here, um, into nutritional medicine. Mm -hmm. and could then go into sports nutrition so that's that's not exactly the standard way um but it's 100 percent more than most sports medicine people that actually have so yeah i'm quite quite glad i i thought that challenge should be uh should be <laughs> mine and yeah i completed it so nice yeah lovely thank you for that all right so everybody is on the edge of their seat uh, including me <laughs> From the first email that we had, you know, we, we've emailed back and forth a, f a few times. Um, but when you first 
kind of clued me in on what might be going on in the world right now. Um, I was shocked, but Mm -hmm. also not surprised. I say that a lot, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. shocked at first, but then on reflection, like, hmm, well, this doesn't surprise me too much. Um, So let's, let's hear what's going on. Where did you first find out about this information and um, how did you dig deeper? Where did I find out first? First of all, I, tell us what you found. <laughs> yeah, I can't really remember. Um, so I have to say, I spent a couple of years behind the scenes at Pre Lausanne. I think the last time I was there behind the scenes must have been like 2020. So right, coronavirus was like somewhere in China already, mm-hmm. um, but right before the pandemic. And I got to know the medical team and I was honestly back then quite impressed how they were trying to secure that they really only have healthy dancers um, during this competition week and particularly on stage where mm-hmm. you know millions of viewers following the live stream for six or seven days in a row um, and at the same time I know the dancers and one dancer was very open and very honest and she said well actually you know what that's a that's all fake. We all yeah. fake our health data. And I said, wow, I think we've got to talk about it. Kind of similar to, to your reaction, you know, like, oh, wow, talk about it. Yeah. It, it wasn't a podcast, but it was an Instagram live. And she really, she really kind of opened my eyes. And I thought, wow, that makes sense. Kind of, it doesn't surprise me now that I'm mm-hmm. listening to you. And I thought, maybe I should follow this up and ask my followers on Instagram and ask, have you ever manipulated your health data for a competition? And if so, what did you do? Um, So, uh, and let's have a look. Um, Have you ever applied for a ballet competition and lied about your health data? And that was one of the questions I started off with. Okay. And it was was genuinely all competitions, right? So I didn't want to ask about the pre in particular. Um, at 44%, 44%, and we were usually close to 200 votes. But yes, I did. Oh my gosh. So, so 200 people in this particular Instagram survey for this right. one question, have right. you ever lied about your health data or manipulated your health data on a yeah. competition application? And how yeah. many, what percentage? 44%. 44%. That's almost half. Yeah. Of people being honest. Of people being honest, right? Yeah. Wow. Um, And also, I have to say, I really have to thank everyone being part of this because that is different from what I set up later where I really cannot track everyone. I could literally see every single answer, but I have promised everything's going to stay anonymous. Confidential, yeah. Yeah. And um, that was, was, I was surprised to get so many votes, actually. Wow. Um, it sounds to me like people want, are seeking change. If that many people are willing to be honest about about the situation, it sounds like people really want change to happen. If they're willing to open up like that, absolutely agree. Absolutely agree. And I also ask them have you been told to lie about your health data to increase your chances of being selected because you know when they apply they are 14 15 16 they are young yeah i was going to ask what the age range was yeah and um so usually you can if you compete at the pre lausanne you need to be 
15, they had one year where they had lowered the age limit, but then they, you know, just um, went back to the old one of 15. Yeah. But you, obviously you can apply wise to being 14, so that's not a problem. Right. Um, you just have to and, be 15 when it takes place. Exactly. Uh-huh. Um, and I mean, as we all know, you use American Grand Prix, you can be much younger. Um, and so I thought, is it always the dancer's idea or could it possibly be that someone tells them to lie about the data? Um, and yes, 45% again of close to 200 had been told to do that. And the top three of those saying you should manipulate your health data were actually teachers, coaches, and parents. The last one did surprise me, I have to say. Yeah, that surprises me too. But I mean, also giving some, I wanna say like grace to those parents because, and we've talked about this on the show before, that if you are in, if you're really kind of <laughs> sucked in to this whole idea that this is the key to your child's future, right? Not that I'm saying it's okay to do it at all, but I can see how some parents might be manipulated enough by the environment that they're in with all of these quote big name teachers or artistic directors who've made promises or who've said well if this is what you want to do this is how you have to get there you know i can see how someone could easily be manipulated when they're surrounded by that toxic environment to be persuaded to do something like that that and probably um i think the majority of parents probably never had any contact to a dietitian, not, not to right. mention a sports dietitian. And so, you know, what do they get from media, social media, right. diet culture? Mm-hmm. So it, it's really hard to blame them. And yeah. I, I'd rather prefer this to be food for thought. Like, mm-hmm. is that really what we want for our kids? And also, do we want to be... I can't, I come back later to this, but do we want to be a role model? Yeah, like, I was just going to say that. Mm, exactly, because um, I now, with the online survey that I set up, and um, I would love for you to share the link so that we can gather more data. Yeah, it is always the same in research. The more data, the better, and the, you know, the, the stronger your arguments. Um, there are quite a lot of um, parents. Let me just quickly open the document here. Yeah. Um, so... Not all. I have started in this online survey, I have started to ask about the big, I think, eight um, ballet competitions worldwide. So is this, sorry, is this separate from your Instagram initial survey? Okay, so you did this initial Instagram survey just to kind of like get a temperature for the situation. And then you moved into a somewhat more formal online survey that people could fill out anonymously. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I can't, if I wanted, I can't even track your IP. Possibly, <laughs> that's disabled, and that is that is for a reason. Um, yes, and so I then started to ask. I teamed up with Romy from the Hardcore Podcast, and then started to ask more explicitly about um, competitions because I could see from the Instagram survey that people were like. Wow, why, why do they need all this data? And also, yeah. oh, the competition I applied for, they didn't need this sort of data. And it is now quite clear that 
no competition other than the Prix de Lausanne asks for more than height and weight. Mm. Nevertheless, we have to talk about that almost, not almost, but every other competition mm-hmm. asks for height and weight. And, yes. you know, that's been on your podcast it has. a couple of times it already. Has. What does it actually say? It doesn't say anything. And I, I have, I've had, um, you know, a couple of instances where, um, you know, I've had some people say that their university program has removed that information from their application. So applauding all of those institutions out there who are taking it off, hooray. But yeah, what does that tell you? It tells you nothing. It's like, you know, I have this whole like thing against using BMI as a measure of health in the in the medical field. Like I'm really passionate about that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, in the greater context of the person's health, what is it telling you? It doesn't tell you their composition. It doesn't tell you their cholesterol or their heart health, or it, it doesn't really tell you a whole lot at all. And in outside of the health context, in the dance context, it tells you nothing. It absolutely tells you nothing, particularly not on an individual basis. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, as discussed, developed to screen populations, whole populations. So that should already be, you know, a red flag. So what we apply to a whole population, it, does it still make sense to apply to, apply to the individual? Most of the time it does not. Mm-hmm. And also it was developed even before the Vaganova height weight chart was developed. Yeah. And what we are seeing right now with dancers having still to fill in height and weight or basically their BMI with that, mm-hmm. um, that is actually still the same standard as more than a hundred years ago. So, I mean, <laughs> like, seriously? Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, You know, I'm wondering also, I don't know in other countries, but in the United States, of course, we have pretty strict HIPAA laws about um, how your health, who, like who should have access to your health information and and so forth. I'm wondering, um, so with, with competitions in the United States, do you have any idea if the students are required to provide like a medical screening form from their doctor because a lot of times you know when you p- participate in sports at school you have to have like a, a sports physical filled out by your doctor um is that a requirement or it's just this height and weight line it, item it is height and weight <laughs> so we gave for every competition we gave the option to click don't ask me how many options. It was definitely height and weight of the dancer, uh-huh. height and or weight of parents. So they could click either or, or both. Uh-huh. Um, so mother and father, growth chart or growth percentiles, which should normally be, be part of what you just mentioned. Right. Um, for the female dancers, um, onset of menstrual cycle, regularity of mm-hmm. menstrual cycle. Mm-hmm. And they could even click um, eating disorder test, uh, eating, eating disorder test, sorry, it is an eating disorder test, but it is, yeah, exactly, it's called EAT, which is um, eating attitude test. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is that is all what is, by the way, asked for the pre-Lausanne or needs to be provided, all okay. of it. 
But no matter the competition, and we had quite a couple in the US, it was height and weight. And for the pre, so far, all of the candidates really clicked that all of what I just mentioned yes. need, needed to be provided. So yes. they, for most of the competitions worldwide, they enter and are being or part of the selection process possibly is looking at height and weight and uh -huh. i just also ask who looks at it yeah yeah that's that's a good question who's who's just who is uh filtering this information and then deciding right exactly what's okay what's not okay do they have medical health professionals on their board pre has about all the other ones we honestly don't know mm. mm -hmm. yeah so I find that it's definitely something we need to talk about because yeah. basically, you know, we can boil it down to it somehow looks like the height and weight chart that is more than 100 years old still has some value in the ballet competition world because otherwise, why would they? Yeah, why otherwise, why is it there? Exactly. Mm -hmm. I find that scary. Very, very scary. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, of course, you could argue and say, look, it is so good what the pre does and they are asking for so much. Uh -huh. And in a sense, it is. There is thought behind it. You can't say they, you know, they just do it for, I don't know, um, prestige or whatever. Right. There is yeah. there's thought behind it, right? Mm -hmm. The thing we are learning now, though, is it doesn't really work because they fake the data. Yeah, people are lying. Are they even told to do it? Yeah, or yes, yeah, so it's strongly suggested that they do lie. <laughs> yeah, and I could, yeah, just you go first and then I could maybe add some of the examples what dancers said about it. Well, I wanted to kind of go back a little bit just to make sure <laughs> our listeners have a good understanding from a scientific standpoint, from a medical standpoint about BMI, because you and I were kind of like talking about how it's terrible and it doesn't tell you anything, but can you just briefly um help us to understand what bmi is and why it was thought and sometimes still is thought to be a, an indicator of health right. just so we have that right. understanding yeah 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 absolutely i know also that i made it in terms of bmi i made a note we have to talk about stephen mcrae and what he said about the bmi great let <laughs> <laughs> me just quickly see that i um that i find this here um it was by the way created in 1832 so okay that is much older even than the did not know that <laughs> <laughs> um it had a different name back then it was it was called the Ketelet index because a mathematician mathematician um had developed this because he was just so interested in um finding out about populations and and bringing some statistics to these populations in order to kind of um categorize them um so it there isn't i i just wanted to give you the very very official um um definition of it the ratio of the weight in kilograms divided by the square of the height in meters. Okay. So fairly simple formula. Oh, yes, absolutely. Which was good for 
field studies with uh -huh. populations. For large populations. For large populations mm -hmm. and also only to uh, kind of um, set up some categories where it's like a screening tool, but for a population yeah. that's been, you know, and they figured then at, a, at, at some time they figured that actually the range, it is not quite clear whether it was about like 80, 19 to 25 or whether it was 20 to 25. So mm -hmm. it, it, so it seemed to differ worldwide a little bit, but somewhere there, people seem to be the healthiest. Okay, so they're, they're looking at um, these populations in order to determine um, nutritional needs, food, food chain, su uh, supply chain for food to distribute to a wider population, healthcare needs, how many hospitals per capita do we need, data like that, correct? Yeah, for example. Okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, it doesn't really say anything about the nutritional status, but of course, uh -huh. if, if you compare um, two countries where one um, country has food in abundance and, you know, like half or two thirds of the population are above 25 and then you compare it um, with a population in, let's say, a developing country and you see that most of the population or let's say just again half or two thirds mm -hmm. are below 20 or 18.5, then you can say, okay, what is actually different in these yes. countries, you know, and what could contribute to so what we're talking about is correlation, not causation. Absolutely no causation. So we're, we're talking about, well, we see, um, for example, I don't know, I'm just kind of throwing this out there. We, we can see maybe a correlation between heart disease and BMI. Right. But it doesn't take in a, into account any of the comorbidities, the other factors that go into heart disease or BMI. It doesn't tell you what their cholesterol is. It doesn't tell you what their fat percentage is in their body or if they are pre-diabetic or diabetic. Like, it doesn't tell you anything. It just says that as this goes up, this also goes up. Or as this goes down, this also goes down. Or as this goes down, this goes up. Like, it, that's all it tells you, right? That is absolutely correct so you absolutely cannot say if someone has bm when when someone has bmi of 25 26 27 that this is absolutely unhealthy because as stephen mcray said in one of his it's not, <laughs> Love him. not too recent but it's one of the more recent posts when he said well officially you know according to my bmi i'm now overweight <laughs> and at the same time, if you've been following him, you know yes. that he is the healthiest he's ever been. Mm -hmm. And that's the problem. The BMI really doesn't tell you anything about body composition. His body composition is better than it used to be for most of his career. Mm -hmm. But that also means he is more muscular. He is stronger. Mm -hmm. He eats more. That's yeah. definitely something he has addressed that he was for much of his career, unfortunately, in a state of low energy availability. Yes. Um, and so, I mean, that example, I think that should make us all be like, okay, hold on for a second. That, that, that doesn't sound good. He's not overweight. That is no. <laughs> ridiculous. And that is part of the, that is definitely one aspect why the BMI is so problematic. And another one is it was used for populations and any population on this planet is primarily made up of what we call the general population. So if we think of dancers, we think usually of 
younger people, definitely younger than 45, being very active, um, being on the leaner side of things. Mm -hmm. The general population is always like um, non-active lifestyle, um, maybe the occasional run, maybe the occasional gym visit, mostly a desk nine to five job. Weekend um, warrior. Desk job. Warrior, right, <laughs> absolutely. Um, loving to indulge in um, uh, really like <laughs> lots of food and lots of good food and maybe lots of food that is actually not contributing to health anymore. Yeah. Uh, so that it, I always think like this can't be further from a dancer. Mm -hmm. And yet the same is applied to the dancers. So, you know, um, I don't want to push too much saying dancers are special, but I mean, if it gets so out of context, then hey, dancers are special. So, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it, I mean, also looking at the wider athletic community too. I mean, no one would take an Olympic athlete and a, a weekend warrior, desk jockey person, and put them a, a, up once one against the other, health information wise, and say we need to apply the same rules to both these people. No. Like that's ridiculous. Yeah. It makes no sense at all. I, no, it doesn't. It doesn't make sense, and this is why. I'm kind of really scared from what we are finding right now. Um, it is, who makes all these decisions? Yeah. Who has actually made the decision that height and weight need to be on the application form? Yeah, coming back to that. Yeah, now that we have a better understanding of this BMI, BMI piece. Yeah, who who is, first of all, I would be curious to know, and again, this whole episode, guys, is really more of a, question a big question than an answer <laughs> okay. just to open up the conversation to everyone but the real question here is what what amount of not to put a pun on it but how much weight does this line item carry in the greater context of the application yeah and who is handling that information yeah because i mean you're freely giving away your health information first of all yeah. You know, which is kind you of a big deal. You don't have to do that. I'm wondering um, if you don't fill in that line, what would happen? That's a good question. I don't know. We would need to follow that up. I because I just want to take a moment here to tell everybody that um, you can refuse being weighed at the doctor's office. <laughs> and you, you can refuse that almost worldwide. Yes. And um, I didn't know that until about almost nine months ago okay. when I became pregnant. And um, I realized that I don't, I, I don't have to be weighed and I haven't been my entire pregnancy. Right. Okay. And yeah. everything is great. I mean, I'm, I'm taking all of the other precautionary tests. Mm -hmm. um, baby's healthy. I'm healthy. Doctor's happy. We're moving on with our lives, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah so just making that point that, you know, I wonder what would happen if a dancer chose to maybe put their height, but not their weight or, or either really either one, because the height, the height thing is also problematic. They do see it anyway, when they compete. Yeah, they can see how tall you are. And honestly, like, let's talk about principal dancers. For example, Wendy Wellen, Julie Kent, these women are not super tall dancers, but when they are on stage, they look. my God. <laughs> Yeah. They command the stage. You would never know 
that they're, you know, shorter on the shorter I, side. You might, point. Someone might say in, con in the context of, you know. Right. And I think that is a really good point because it is a difference whether you're actually competing uh -huh. or whether you're auditioning and maybe yeah. really a director wants to pay to attention to like, you know, I'm, I had two shorter dancers leaving. I'm uh -huh. again searching for two shorter ones because it just, you know, worked or very well. Or a ballet line or something. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, talking about auditions, I just <laughs> want to add because I find that just as questionable as the competitions. Yes, of course. I actually, do I have patients telling me that they are auditioning and there's a panel, including the director of the company they are auditioning for? And they know the director sits there with their application form, which actually includes height and weight. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, I go like, what is his qualification or need to know about it? What does he do with it? I mean, there's no, no. It just gives them an opportunity to, to have some sort of bias going into the audition. That's all it does. I love it how you said it because that's exactly the point they biased or they are prejudiced or mm -hmm. you know in Europe this it's, it's really prejudice this prejudice of um no dancer in my company is allowed over 50 kilograms excuse me mm -hmm. yeah well I mean I remember I mean this is gosh how many years ago like 20 years ago when I was auditioning you know freshly auditioning for companies as a you know newly newly graduated dancer and i would go okay like i'm gonna look for companies who tend to hire my body type mm -hmm. like you know someone might say oh well xyz um ballet company they only hire people who are super tall and lanky and all of this and then abc company oh well they they also hire um shorter dancers so i'm gonna audition there like it's really sad that we have to kind of narrow down our choices based uh -huh. on body type. It's uh -huh. just, it's just really, really ridiculous. Now I can see, you know, a company who performs a certain type of repertoire mm -hmm. that coincides with what you want to do artistically. Yes. That's how you should be narrowing down your job choices or where you're auditioning. A hundred percent. And I've heard a lot of voices um, and also after both the Instagram survey and also now the online survey, I have had parents saying, look, of course there is a live stream for the Prix de Lausanne. There's loads of um, lives for Youth America Grand Prix on Instagram, for example, other competitions are not so present, but nevertheless, they said, where was the body diversity? Where actually was it? Lots, lots of people complained about jury diversity, which was which was another very valid point. Yeah, for sure. Um, but actually, where's the body diversity on stage? And when we think about competitions like the pre, this is just where I know the numbers best, um, where we have close to 400 dancers around 380, 385 per year applying, and then around somewhere between the end 60s to end 70s, 80s being selected or the other ones, of course, do they sit in front of their um, computer or, or, or um, um, TV? 
and they watch it and you know what's going on what's actually going on in their minds like mm. wow I gave in my actual health data but that kind of doesn't look right to me so why are they all like rather tall rather skinny that's that's the feedback I got from those having been rejected mm. interesting now again forgive me because I don't know how this process works but the initial application I'm sure there's a video of some kind mm -hmm. of a variation maybe two variations do the dancers who are getting rejected do they ever get feedback granted I know this is like 500 people so it'd be difficult to okay so at that initial round they're not getting any feedback other than just a yes or no normally not but maybe that's the moment where we could actually look at the feedback from the survey um it cost one dancer i mean at the pre there is actually really a doctor checking the health data that's at um, least encouraging yes absolutely um and then one dancer said i didn't get selected and was informed that my bmi was too low uh-huh okay so, so you know um BMI but also what does that mean yeah exactly so um, we have we have really a lot of question marks like mm, is that a good way to do it so but um, at least she, she got something you know she yeah. she had something to kind of work with or understand why she was rejected and then she said um, I was told to get medical advice and apply again next year I was healthy with no disordered eating but had just had a growth spurt and I was uh -huh. struggling to put on weight which we actually really know happens during puberty and yeah. competitions take place during puberty. Right. Um, my friend who had deliberately lost weight to apply and struggled with disordered eating was selected. She had falsified information in her application form um, and had lied about her menstrual cycle. And that is, I think, where I see your face, mine looks the same, where we go like, Okay. Yeah, so this goes both ways. We're not, <clears throat> so excuse me, we're not just talking about dancers who are um, misrepresenting their information in order to appear smaller. We're also misrepresenting information to appear, just to, just to appear within range of what they're looking for, let's say. That's the problem. Mm -hmm. That is exactly the problem. And I mean, of course, I mean, we would have been the same. You mm -hmm. talk to former pre-candidates, you talk to those having been successful, probably you know some, I mean, social media makes literally everything. <laughs> yeah, everything. yeah. Um, and of course, would they tell you how they had been treated, what they had overheard during the competition and so on? Of course, would they do it? And you can't blame them for that. No, especially when it seems to me uh, as more of an outsider perspective that these types of competitions are becoming more and more increasingly how you get a job. Yeah, through you know? networking, networking forums. Right. And, yeah. I mean, do they even do cattle call auditions anymore? <laughs> like, is that even a thing? <laughs> mm -hmm. <Good> <laughs> you know, um, so which those weren't much better because you also provided your height and weight on those applications. But, mm -hmm. you know, it's just um, thing I'm asking myself is, you know, that the day after the pre officially um, um, is over, that's usually the Sunday then, there's a networking forum where lots of the dancers are being offered scholarships or apprenticeships. Mm -hmm. And as a director, wouldn't I be there and say, wow, they just competed here, so I know they're healthy because otherwise they are not here. Yeah. Like, you know, 
Or is it even, is it even a question in their mind though, really? Like, is it even top of mind? Good question, I don't know. You know? Mm, very, very good point. I always, I always look at it from the health perspective. And of course, mm -hmm. as I would sit there and be like, oh, wow, they've just been That's checked. your lens, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, <laughs> I mean, real life is happening <laughs> while, I'm, while I'm thinking about it. Um, and it yeah. is so true, I have to agree. Do they even care? I mean, I guess, you know, looking at it through the lens of an artistic director, you're both a business person and an artistic director, you know, like, you kind of have to wear those two roles. So yes, you might be looking for, like you had said earlier, someone who, you, you know, you've got a dancer of a certain height leaving and you want to try to fill that space. Um, so you have those calculations going on in your head. But then it's just also your own, your own stuff. Mm -hmm. You know, like how you were treated, what your dance career was like, what you were told, what stories you've been telling yourself for the last 40 years, you know? Mm -hmm. That is you know, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. Mm -hmm. And having this information as like a simple line item on an application, I mean, it's very simple. And if you're try if you're really having a hard time making a decision between two dancers mm. and you've been told your whole life that this is important, mm -hmm. then it might, you know, it might be a deciding factor. Let, I mean, let's be honest, it is really hard work to be reflective on how you have been brought up and what mm -hmm. you have been taught or the style, you know, that your teacher had. That is really hard work. Um, on the other hand, I probably said it um, previously on your podcast, but we go with the flow with every other aspect in our life. So let's just pick medical care. All of them want the up-to-date best medical care, right? And not the one that was on vogue and maybe gold standard in the 1930s, right? Yeah, yeah, we're not using leeches anymore. <laughs> For example, well, actually, in some treatments we are, which that's fine, but that was um, the first thing that came to my mind, like these medieval practices we're not using. Yeah, we are not doing that anymore. And I, I normally pick cancer treatment um, because kind of sometimes you have to be really radical to make people think about their own behaviors. Yeah. Um, so you wouldn't want to have the cancer treatment of 1930 or 1922. You absolutely wouldn't want to have it. So when it comes to how to select a dancer, why not, why is that okay to do it like 1922? I don't mm. understand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there's really the, I think again, this, and this is such a recurring theme. We are stuck in the past. We know so much better. And I'm not talking about we know so much better for the general population. We even know so much better for the denser population. Dance science and dance medicine literally exploded over the yes. past couple of years, or maybe let's say in the past decade. Yeah. Um, so we have to have this conversation in order to get somewhere. So talking about, um, obviously, like I said, listeners, we are not trying to answer the question here. We're just opening the conversation, but just kind of like bouncing things around in my head. You know, we're talking about, 
you know, how difficult would it be for, and hopefully less likely that the data would get manipulated if uh, participants had to go to their general practitioner or pediatrician in most cases to get a, a, like a sport health screening that's specific, a little bit more specific to, you know, a dancer's needs. Um, I asked And turn that in with your application. Right. The thing is, I asked about it because that uh -huh. is, that's actually what the pre wants them to do, right. have signed by their GP. You know, GPs are constantly, um, I don't know, really having, they have to rush so much through the day. So when someone sure. comes, it's like, what, you really want me to fill in all these, do that, I'm going to sign. And I also had a parent saying, um, the GP was like, excuse me, what do you want? That, that's ridiculous. So just, you know, prepare, I sign. Um, and that seems to happen quite a lot as well, which is why the survey is really important because it, it really sheds light on, um, there is a competition having put thought really into how can we secure that we have healthy dancers on stage. And it, it, it is just becoming clearer by the day. It, doesn't work that way really so mm. time for change yeah interesting Oof. okay so we've talked about is there any other um anonymous data that you would like to share about how how this whole thing is impacting some in like the individual dancers uh we yeah. talked about a couple of cases where they were rejected because of bmi was too high or too low um any other thoughts you'd like to share on, on what people are saying? Yeah, I think what is important to say is that lots of the dancers were quite honest about, I just Googled what I had to fill in, for example, for the eating attitude test, because you can Google it is, it is an internationally validated and standardized mm -hmm. test. So you can Google what is a good attitude, what is a unhealthy attitude. Um, and we had a couple of dancers um, saying, um, I put in the weight that my teachers would like me to sustain, which I was struggling to meet. So I would work hard and eat less before the weekly weigh-in day, trying to reach that. Wait, so there's an actual weigh-in with the student's school? Obviously. I didn't even know that was still a practice. It is. How naive of me. It is. Um, I can... I don't know, I would say 50% of my patients probably have to go through that. It's not necessarily a weekly one, it can be a monthly one. But I could tell stories about the weigh-ins. Um, uh, I go ballistic in, in clinic more. I bet. <laughs> It'd be hard not to. I mean, you know, there's a school not too far from here where they do the weigh-ins monthly. So I, I think it's always the first Tuesday of the month. They do it in the, after, in the afternoon. So do you expect your students to eat breakfast or anything. Lunch, anything like no they don't but after that they go on a binge and they even plan it and god forbid any of those children be on their menstrual cycle that first tuesday uh, of the month like every month <laughs> right can you imagine um, right and it's the director weighing mm -hmm. and the director mm -hmm. determining the goal weight mm -hmm. There's Excellent. a little bit further from here, mm -hmm. where when you enter, like, enter the hall, you know, 
there's a chart. If you are this height, you've got to weigh that. If you are this height, you've got to weigh that. It is at the entrance to the school. Yep. It's like it's like the sign at the amusement park. Like you have to be this tall to ride the ride. Oh, right. <laughs> oh my god. Right. Preposterous. Except from that has nothing to do with safety in the body. Yeah, nothing. Mm -hmm. Right. It is happening. It is, it is really still happening. And I know there are so many people, especially those really trying to drive change, saying, I can't believe this is still happening. But yeah, let's be just honest. If okay. we if we brush it off, that would mean I don't take my patients seriously. And it will also mean kind of I'm assuming they're lying. That's not okay. Mm -hmm. And they suffer from it. They only see me when they are not healthy. I yeah. don't see them when they are healthy. Which, by the way, listeners, you can see a nutritionist when you're healthy. Yeah. For performance. I would love it. To I would prove your performance. Yeah. Whether that's brain performance, mm -hmm. having concentration issues at school, perhaps. I don't know. Like, mm -hmm. there are so many reasons you can see a I nutritionist. Wish Every school had a nutritionist, so that mm. just diet culture can't even manifest in the studio, you know, from like the earliest moment on. Mm -hmm. That would be yeah. amazing. Mm. And yeah, there were, of course, really um, other ones as well. So the, the mental pressure, um, we, we should not underestimate it. There's another one who um, actually said she was also taught by her teachers to fill in a weight that was lower than the weight that she actually was. And then also like, ah, come on, until the competition, you can just lose it. And then she actually arrived at the pre-Lausanne. And so this is now really in favor of the pre-Lausanne. Um, the doctor kind of said, congratulations, because she was suddenly too, or not suddenly, she was two kilos heavier than her teachers wanted her to be. And then she had been told she needs to be in order to succeed there. So two kilograms, that is like-, like four, four, four ish pounds. Forest pounds, exactly. Yeah. Um, and um, then the doctor said, "Well, congratulations. If you were the, um, or if you had been the weight you stated in the form, I would have had to stop you from competing because of being too low a weight." Um, so really, this is in favor of the pre-Lausanne, where we know they are concerned and yes. they do express their concern, and there are some, but every year, but every now and then, who really are not allowed to compete upon arrival mm -hmm. but on the other hand there are still there are still so many things where where we know it's not going right they they try hard and i, I really don't want to just blame the pre for not getting it right yeah because you can't force people to tell the truth yeah that's that's also a thing on the other hand they are so many people still consider it to be the most prestigious ballet competition of all yes eyes are on them they have really millions of viewers every single year and now seeing that so many things are not are not good for either mental health or physical health of the young dancers still developing mm -hmm. it's time for a rethink i believe yeah because not only are you getting punished for be there either being too too high or too low on the scale right you're also being rewarded yeah. for being within the the parameters yeah so from a mental health perspective i mean there's no winning in this situation because you're either encouraging either way you're encouraging 
dancers to conform to this scale, mm-hmm. whether that's to lose weight or to feel good yeah. about themselves because they don't weigh so much. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And one of one of those dancers who had actually really heavily manipulated her data said she felt very out of place and as though she didn't deserve to be there because of mm. her being right. Yeah, I mean, that's really not a surprise now after what we've heard, right? Yeah, I mean, imposter syndrome is already a big problem in any artistic world, but I mean, this is just one more thing to pile on. And though it's having been rejected, I mean, we should look at their perspective as well, right? And I asked them on Instagram, um, and I said, how did you feel about yourself and then uh, watching the actual competition? And 43% said they had a feeling not all dancers in the competition could be healthy. 28% said they felt awkward about their own body. 28% I find that is pretty much too much. 25% thought something is wrong with them. Mm-hmm. And you could only select one answer. So mm-hmm. really, um, 53% really didn't feel good about themselves. No. Only 4% had no hard feelings. Interesting. Mm-hmm. This is fascinating. Mm-hmm. And, and what it uncovers is just this deeper issue, too, that, you know, the 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 motivation to lie the motivation to manipulate the data yeah whether it's you're actually being told by your director teacher or by the competition (laughs) that you're explicitly being told you you're not right you don't fit or or there are other places this motivation can come from right but that i feel like that's the really big issue here is that not only are people lying, but why? Why they feel the need to. As long, let me try and answer this way, as long as competitions send out in written form the request for the dancer to lose weight in order to succeed in their career, we're not going to get rid of it. And for anyone saying this doesn't help me anymore, it just happened at the Youth America Grand Prix final. Sorry, sorry to disappoint you. Yeah. Also, I mean, just having it, like we've been saying all along this conversation, just having it on the application at all, yeah. you know, rather than looking at blood pressure, rather than looking at, um, I mean, you're the nutritionist, so you, can, you can tell me all the diagnostics that would be more helpful to, to indicate whether or not a dancer was safe to dance, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You really have to look at the individual because it is, of course, dancers very often really are on the leaner side of things, but there is a healthy lean and there's an unhealthy lean. And Mm -hmm. that is what you need to determine. And I'm not saying it is easy to do that via an application form. Uh Um, But maybe then... Um, and that's the only answer I can kind of give. Maybe then on site, the more thorough on site check should be done. Okay. And also coming back to Youth America Grand Prix and what just happened that the dancer had been told to lose weight and that even in written form. Um, would it have been the same result if nobody had known about the weight? 
just, yeah, exactly. That bias going I would into, I would say probably no. Mm-hmm. And for what reason? Did they give a reason why this BMI was supposedly unhealthy? She was just meant to lose weight in order to succeed in dance. And can we just say this dancer was not even 14? I mean, seriously, as a doctor, and I'm, I'm really, really serious about it. As a doctor, mm-hmm. if someone complains, wherever you're registered, if someone complains about you as a doctor saying things like you've got to lose weight if you want to succeed as a dancer, you can easily, and I really mean easily, have your license revoked. Absolutely. And you should. Yeah. <laughs> and you should. Agree. Agree. And this is, as a healthcare pro, this is for me so, so difficult to sit here and be like, I know this is happening. And that even though I know so much, I can't do much. Mm-hmm. I mean, our structures are completely distorted in the dance world. They're completely mm-hmm. distorted. Mm-hmm. So it seems like this is kind of common knowledge that this practice is happening. Maybe it yeah. seems. Yeah, it seems. Right from these open conversations with, with various dancers, do we have any idea if the organizations know that this is happening? It's a good question, um, because I don't know. Mm-hmm. I really don't know. I must say that any time, or every time, not any time, every time I was in contact with the medical team, I felt like they take their job really seriously. Until I, it was not even a medical thing. I had to inquire something about um, the, you know, that pre has partner schools. And I had to inquire something about the weigh-ins, what uh-huh. I mentioned, the Tuesdays and so on, you know. Um, and I was told by the medical team, this is not happening. Uh-huh. And then I, I was like, that sounds fishy, right? Um, oh, let's say that doesn't sound right. That is maybe, maybe but, all that I saw was true to a certain extent, but then not ultimately. Yeah, so it sounds like I one of many possibilities. Mm-hmm. Perhaps the schools are not being honest with Pre that they're doing these things. Absolutely. That's a possibility. It's possible that uh, a blind eye is being turned mm-hmm. to this practice happening. It could be possible that that this is a PR line mm-hmm. that is being fed. Mm-hmm. That you have to say this thing when this question is asked. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it has to be one of those three, I think. <laughs> I found it also hard to find I don't, I don't even know. I can only say I was so shocked when I read it because I knew they were doing it. They were right. my patients. And did you, were you able to then give a response and say, well, actually. I just got the response. This is not happening. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I, I sat here and thought 200 kilometers away. 
I know it is happening because they are my patients. And right. And you and you've got some patient confidentiality stuff too that you have to honor, obviously, as a healthcare professional. Absolutely. I inquired a little bit further actually, mm-hmm. um, and then asked the local, what are they? The kind of, you know, the the umbrella organization dance for this country uh-huh. specifically. Uh-huh. And they and that is that that was actually then the problem and why we didn't get any further there it was um it was an underage patient and i was told parents have to make this complaint and otherwise we can't do any sort of investigation right and of course it can't be kept um anonymous yeah that was going to be my next question is um you know you work so closely with your patients uh what kind of a response do the parents have are they willing to kind of do you have parents who are willing to say okay this is not right this is not okay let's do something about it because i mean minors can't really advocate for themselves right like they can't in a legal sense yeah i think it would have been a different story if it had been possible to not reveal their name uh-huh um but they had and this is what kept them from doing it with the argument um the parents had we don't want to kind of end our kids career early yeah jeopardize i mean there's a lot of fear there yeah and and early right exactly yeah um and um i really do believe it could be different if they wouldn't have to reveal their names if they could Mm -hmm. complain to local authorities but then no confidentiality is kept there as well, mm-hmm. but it is not. And as we all know, um, the dance world is incredibly small. Small. Mm-hmm. Um, and so parents really are concerned that this means that was it for their kids. That's um, a legitimate fear. Yeah. You see, there are so many layers to it where, mm-hmm. or why I'm saying, the power structures in dance are so distorted. Yeah. It can't be that if you say something that a doctor would lose their license for, that that is totally fine to say as a as a director, excuse me. Like yeah. seriously. Well, I mean, like if there's a malpractice suit, mm-hmm. you know, if a doctor knowingly does harm that's like a no-brainer right (laughs) and so I mean looking at it from a sort of outside non-dance participant perspective it like it seems so black and white but it really really isn't there like you said there's so many layers um parents once what want what's best for their children and especially when you're in this world and you're being told again that if you want this passion to to come forth and to come to fruition right Mm -hmm. then you have to go through some sacrifice and you have to go through the fire so to speak yeah which in some instances is true like you you can't be a professional ballet dancer without getting a few bloody toenails like (laughs) you know but but there's a certain level of uh of sacrifice that again boundaries are not made you know and safety. I mean, mm-hmm. safety. This has come up so often in, in recent weeks and months. Um, my patient's not feeling safe, and mm. that is 
for those with eating disorders that I see, which is the majority of my patients, mm -hmm. they don't feel safe. Safety is a huge issue. Yeah. I'm like feeling all these <clears throat> pregnancy hormones, like as a new mama bear, like mm -hmm. it's fierce. It's fierce. Mm -hmm. It's tough. Absolutely it is. But I'm really glad that we could have this discussion. Yeah. There are no answers. There are no answers to this, but we have yeah. to bring it to the table and be like, we, we give the dancers a voice who think they can speak about yes, it. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Right? Which is why I'm so grateful that you went down this road. It's, I just felt like I have to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and how many dancers hopefully are listening and parents who are listening, um, who are now ready and, and more empowered to take a stand and say, this isn't right. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. if it were me and I was dancing still, I'm kind of like that personality where I would like, just not fill out that line item and see what happened. <laughs> you know, like I would. <laughs> Wonderful role model. I would, I would, and just see what happens. I think, let me, let me, let me just, let me just. <laughs> if I had to do it with the knowledge I have right now. Yeah, exactly. I would put in something like, what do you think is your background to assess my data, my health data? What's your qualification actually? What's going to be done with this health data as well? Mm -hmm. Like, is it going to be kept confidential? Who, like, who's analyzing it? Like all of these, yeah, I would, like write a little paragraph there, you know? And also, I mean, that's a brilliant <laughs> idea for those, you know, having to fill in audition forms or then soon again, um, competition forms. Uh-huh. You can ask. Yeah. You can ask. It's your Call right. Call and ask. It's just, just as much your right to ask as it is your right to not be weighed at the doctors. Exactly. Even more so because in a lot of these competitions, like you said, there's not necessarily a medical professional analyzing the data. It's really not. No, no, no. Yeah. So interesting. Okay, if, we, well. if we have someone listening, um, dancers having been to competitions or having been rejected, either or, um, Sarah is going to link the survey. Yes, Please yes. In your data. As I said, the more data we have, the stronger our arguments. And then. Yes. Yeah, so guys, I'm going to put a link in the show notes here. And then also um, I'll put it on my Instagram link tree. Um, to share that information so that um, you can either go through Oz Dancers Overseas Instagram to find it. You can come to me to find it. It'll be in the show notes. We're just going to blast it everywhere. <laughs> yes, please. Because the more information Stephanie has, the more ammo she has to do something about it, right? And and the more empowering it is as well to, to your fellow dancers, your fellow parents, um, and teachers too, I'm sure teachers are feeling the pressure as well, you know, yeah. you know, I want to give a shout out to them too, because they don't have an easy job. It's difficult and they might be being pressured from their artistic directors to produce, produce and big quotes here, produce dancers who are successful at these competitions. Cause that affects their bottom line. I mean, like it's all yeah. multi-layered. So the more information we have, the more we can actually do something about it. That is exactly the point. And the reason why I haven't 
on the university research route is, then we wouldn't be talking about it right now. So this is consider it to be field research so that yes. the university picks it up and maybe we can even get some funding for it yes. and then an ethics vote and so on. But if I had done it this way in the first place, then we would probably talk about it in 2024. And I maybe. think, hey, <laughs> we shouldn't wait so long. It's bad yeah. enough. Let's get some preliminary data. Let's get something generated, you know, validate that it's a valid concern Mm -hmm. pu public health issue really i yes. mean it is safety health issue yes yeah, yeah yeah so yeah guys i'll definitely link all that stuff below and then stephanie anything else that you'd like to share with the listeners follow <laughs> you on instagram of course we'll put yeah, that please. in there <laughs> yes yeah, you always find me at os dancers overseas on instagram on facebook um you do find me on tiktok as well i Ooh. just have to admit i don't feed it so regularly yeah um, and of course you find me uh com. excellent yes i'll make sure to plug all that good stuff well again as always it was lovely to see your face and to have this conversation with you and um just really grateful for the work that you do um both in and out of the university um, and you're, you're a true gift to the, the ballet world. So thank you. Thank you so much. And yeah. thank you so much for having me on a second time. Yeah, this has been really fun. Although a little, a little scary topic, but it's, it's been fun to kind of generate, um, some of that content and some of that, those ideas. So thank you. And really you make some really great, great points. And I think like, you know, this is exactly the kind of conversation we need in order push and move it forward yes agree well until next time thank you so much and have a great rest of your day okay thank you you Thanks. too bye, bye bye hello dancers well that was a heavy conversation wasn't it i just want to send a little bit of love to everyone's way whether you have experienced this yourself or seen another dancer go through it whether you were pressured to misrepresent your data or perhaps even told by a competition that your BMI was the reason you weren't allowed through, no matter what that means. I just want you all to know that you're seen and you're heard and you're not alone. And hopefully this conversation, along with many others that Stephanie is having and her research, will really start to make some permanent change in this world because, I mean, really competitions should be an, an enrichment activity for your dance education, maybe a job opportunity for you, not another chance <laughs> to be crushed by the ballet industry. And I really hope that moving forward, we can take some steps to come up with a solution. Because like I said in the intro, we do not have any of the answers, just information. So please, 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 I do encourage you to go to Oz Dancers Overseas Instagram or website, click the link in the show notes and participate in this survey. It's 100% anonymous. Um, IP tracking has been turned off. You do not have to provide any information about yourself, including an email address. Um, and the more data that we collect for Stephanie and the more data she has to analyze, the more ammo we have 
to make some changes for the better. So with that, thank you so much for listening today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. And if you did, please go ahead and leave me a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, follow the pod on Spotify, and share it with just three friends to get the word out. If you have any questions about the episode, particular topics you'd like me to cover, or guests you'd like to hear from, you can email this to me at dancebetterpodcast at gmail.com, or of course, follow the show on Instagram at dancebetterpodcast. Thank you so much for listening today, everyone, and I cannot wait to learn with you on the next episode. Bye!